0: Listening to The Insider from Clark I'm Chris Brown and I'm Jacob Graneman. We When do we want it? Now, now. what do we want? Fair When do we want it? Now we got the power. We got the power. What what kind of power? power. You know and Jacob, power. you're not listening to a replay of our year in review episode from the last time. You're actually listening to the sounds of paraeducator professionals nearly going on strike last week as this education funding crisis story just keeps going on, and we wanted to talk a little bit about that this week.
1: Yeah, indeed we do. Uh, it, it continues to be uh, an, an updated issue. Uh, new new angles uh, are, are continuously emerging. It's become even more of a national issue. I don't know if you, if, I mean, of you have kept up, but even in Los Angeles, um, over 9,000 right. school districts face strikes, um, which recently concluded just uh, last month. So it, it's definitely a a continuing issue.
0: And I think it's going to be for a while, and we're going to talk a little bit about why that might be. Um, I wanted to play you some of those sounds just so you could kind of hear the tenor of what was going on. Now, th- this strike didn't end up happening. They did reach a, a deal really at the 11th and a half hour, because they said they had until <laughs> midnight, and it was at 12.01 a.m. the next morning that they agreed on a deal. Uh, the uh, VAESP, which represents basically Uh, paraeducator professionals, so those are support professionals, crossing guards, clerks, secretaries, about 700 or so of them in the Vancouver School District. Uh, They eventually reached a deal that, according to the district, is going to give them about a 17.5% raise over the next three years. That includes, uh, I believe, an 11.4% raise this year, Uh, They would have already received about a 2% cost of living adjustment. So that's included in that. Sure. And then about 3% and 3.1% over the next two years, which is a slight bump from what their COLA would have been. So that's a deal that they reached. They were able to do that, not go on strike. A strike would have canceled classes because we're talking about you know, very important the people employees. who run
1: the background, all of the all of the the ongoing tasks, whether it's the secretarial staff or the custodial staff. These are all these folks. So,
0: and of course, as you remember, uh kids already lost a few days off their school year, just a few uh, in Vancouver because of a strike by the teachers that delayed the start of the school year. You saw a lot of the same arguments on both sides sort of pop up again in this debate. So I kind of wanted to go over a little bit because we've said McCleary funding a lot. I don't think that we've really explained what is McCleary sure. uh, and what was the, the decision that the Supreme Court came up with in that case uh, that basically made the legislature have to provide additional funding, what had gotten the state in that position. So real quickly— uh, I think I'll just start there with your permission and go over course, a little bit. Of course. Yeah,
1: paint the picture for us how what is sort of the background of this sort of buzzword case that's now sort of ingrained in every element of these strikes. What what was its initial purpose, I guess?
0: Well, let's we can go all the way back to I believe the late 60s uh which oh my. when the <laughs> yeah, which is when the state uh you saw a lot of districts across the state start to Pay their educators out of local levy dollars for what were called time, uh, responsibility, and incentive pay. Uh, it's become colloquial colloquially known by its uh, try saying that three times fast <laughs> by its uh, by its acronym TriPay. Um, and essentially, what that was was it was intended to be money for educators uh, outside of their contracted obligations. So. Uh, if you had an extra meeting, you did some extra tutoring. Um, there were a lot of different things that you could do that would allow you to earn some extra income outside of your normal base salary. Sure. So that morphed eventually into bigger and bigger dollars and eventually became what they called deemed done work, which was basically that just became part of your this is how much you earn, right? And there were certain things, it became, you, you got paid that for attending parent-teacher conferences, for having meetings with parents or students outside Managing the clubs, things like things that. Things teachers yeah. always do yeah. anyway. And so essentially it became, this was a way that the districts themselves were funding additional dollars for teachers in order to... Um, to provide incentive for them to work there, uh, it was it was competitive pay essentially. So in 2009, uh, I'm sorry, in 2007, the Network for Excellence in Washington Schools or News formed and filed a lawsuit on behalf of two different couples and their children. So the one that you'll you'll hear a lot about is Matthew and Stephanie McCleary, and they they kind of became the face of this case which is why it became called the McCleary case, McCleary Uh versus the state of Washington. Um, I remember reading an article some time back about her. She didn't really want to become the face of this. They needed sort of a parent to put out in front, and she sort of became that. So her name became attached to the case, even though it was this organization that was the one that filed the lawsuit. So in 2009, two years after the lawsuit was filed, King County Superior Court issued a ruling basically agreeing with news, on pretty much all points, the state appealed that a couple of years later in 2012, the state Supreme Court upheld that lower court ruling. So you go, okay, 2012 to 2018, it's what a took of a six gap. years yeah. for the state? And you'll recall the state essentially was paying, I think in 2016- don't quote me on that because I, I I haven't looked at that number up. But this the, the Supreme years. Court essentially found the state legislature in contempt of court because they had failed to meet their what they called their their obligation or uh, to to fully fund basic education, and so the state was essentially paying a fine every month to the state, however that works, um, <laughs> because they were in contempt of court. I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars a month or something that they were being fined to pay themselves. To pay themselves, <laughs> um, I can't remember off the top of my head where that money went, sure, okay, so we get from two thousand and twelve to two thousand and eighteen, essentially, I believe in two thousand and sixteen, the Supreme Court basically gave they took over jurisdiction of this case to enforce it, and they gave the legislature until two thousand and eighteen to come up with a plan that would fully fund basic education. all right, so that's sort of the legal history of this. Um, uh, the way the legislature went about this was to say, okay, we're going to raise statewide property taxes in order to raise money to fully fund basic education to the tune of $8.1 billion out of the state's pockets every year. And we're going to do a levy swap. We're going to cap the local levies at either $1,500 per student or $1.50 per thousand dollars of assessed value, whichever is lower, I believe. Um, and essentially that means that we want you to lose use that local levy money for what it was originally intended for, which is what they call an enrichment levy That means if you want to have additional things outside of the state's basic model of education, it comes out of that money. If you want to hire extra teachers, if you want to have an extra nurse, if you want to have a guidance counselor at a school or anything that that is not covered under the state's basic model of education, Comes out of that money instead and, of that money going to pay sure additional dollars to your existing teachers.
1: And this would only be for essentially the salaries that you just uh, listed off. This isn't is this for potential like developments and refurbishing of of well, school grounds or is it only for salaries? That
0: would that would be a maintenance and operations levy or a building bond. so separate now, levy. The levy is different from a bond, and we can get into all of that. But essentially. Districts can have multiple levies. You can have a maintenance operations levy. You can have an enrichment levy. um, But there are strict rules about where that money can be spent. Now, an enrichment levy, as I said, was supposed to be meant to pay for additional programs, additional education for a district. And a lot of that money – and I mean, a lot of districts – I think uh, Battleground was charging $3.50 per $1,000 of assist value. So they're losing $2 – for every thousand dollars of assessed value, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. If you go back and look at our stories at ClarkCountyToday.com, we've gone through all. I spent a lot of time looking through. Budgets. Sure, we've posted all this number, these numbers up there, but they they lost a lot of money in this levy swap. Now they gained money from the state. We'll get into in a little bit, sort of the arguments about. Uh, how much money they got from the state, how much they were losing, and how that played into this argument.
1: So how does this now affect us today? What are the reasons that this case has come back to the forefront with the teacher strikes in September and August, and now the paraeducators reaching this deal with this potential strike last week?
0: So we got to get a little bit into the weeds here in terms of what the arguments were back and forth. And you know, I, I think a lot of folks, if you've been paying attention to this, you you know a lot of what the back and forth was, but essentially you had the union saying, okay, the legislature set aside this extra billion dollars or so in one-time funding for teachers' salaries, and that means that different districts got X amount. I think um, the Vancouver School District got like $24 million, Battleground School District got around $18 million. I could be conflating some of those numbers in my head, but Roughly, though. But that's roughly what they got. And so the the unions were saying, okay, you got this money from the state. We want you to put that towards teacher salaries. All of it, every dollar, that's what it was meant for. It was earmarked for salaries. The districts were saying, technically, that's true. But you have to recall that we got this money. We're also losing a lot of this money. It was difficult for some folks to see because that levy cap, while the the funding came down last year, the additional funding, the levy cap didn't hit until the beginning of this year. Uh So that meant in the 2017, 2018, I'm sorry, the 2018, 2019 budgets, you saw extra money coming in, but you didn't see this other money going out. You had this one-time influx of cash from the state the districts got, and the districts were saying... You have to be aware that starting next year, we're going to be losing a lot of our local dollars that we've been using to fund teachers. And so they were saying, simple math, take what the state is giving us, take out what we're losing next year in local levy dollars, and the what remains is what we have to give the educators, right? So that was the crux of the argument back and forth between these two sides. One side is saying, the state gave you this much, we want it. The other side is saying, yeah, the state giveth, but the state taketh away. Hmm. And here's what we have left over. That's what we're going to give you. And that
1: take comes from the levy caps that you mentioned earlier. Right. Correct? Okay.
0: Right. And so, but you, you couldn't really see that because it didn't play into the budgets that you had available at the time. It the wasn't. Just hadn't put together directly the 2019, in, 2020 Directly in the
1: forefront yet. of of the McCleary buzz. It wasn't, you know, yeah. directly connected to that. Yeah. I gotcha. mean, there,
0: there weren't hard numbers out there to show this. And so, and then you also have to remember that that there's a lot of debate going on during these about tri-pay and how much of that should be cut. Um, there were some allegations that the statewide union was only reporting the total compensation increase and not reporting how much teachers were losing in tri-pay and then gaining in their base pay. Um, And so it's, it's a complicated issue. Believe me, I banged my head against a wall a lot on this covering it over the summer. Um, And now we are starting to see potentially some of the fruits of this. So Vancouver school district is the only local district so far that has come out with their anticipated budget for the following year. I've talked to a couple of other districts. They're still in the middle of audits and putting all this stuff together, but Vancouver school district is saying they are $11.4 million in the hole starting this coming year. So they've begun a process of cut, cutting budgets. That means some uh, administrative support positions are going to go away. That means travel expenses are going to be cut. Uh, they are going to spend a little bit out of their rainy day fund to cover some of that, but they're anticipating that they're still going to have to cut some teachers. So What you have to remember is that the state was mandated by the Supreme Court. The legislature was mandated to do two things. Number one, fully fund basic education. Number two, reduce class sizes. So if you have fully funded basic education by giving a lot of money to these districts, and they've given this money to their teachers, plus some, and now they have to go and cut teachers in order to balance their budgets... What's going to happen?
1: It's only going to increase these class sizes. Class
0: sizes are going to go up, right. And so the other part of this, this is what will be interesting to watch over the next couple of years, because if class sizes go up as a result of districts having to tighten their belts because of what they gave teachers over the summer, then that other part of the McCleary mandate, which was to reduce class sizes, goes away. Now, I should mention here a part that's interesting or that's important to remember. Excuse me, bumping things here. The part that's important to remember about the McCleary thing, the purpose of this lawsuit in the first place was that local levy dollars for property rich districts meant that they could spend a lot more than surrounding districts. Take, for example, uh, let's say, Camus. Camus is a district that has high property values surrounding them. They have a lot of homes out there. And so when you have a $3 per $1,000 assessed value local levy, you can raise a lot more money in that local levy than say Battleground or even Washugal right next door would be a great example that doesn't have high property values, that doesn't have a lot of homes and thus either needs to charge a much higher levy to those homeowners in order to raise money to compete with their neighboring district, or else cut programs and potentially lose teachers to that neighboring district that can afford to pay their teachers more. And so the state Supreme Court, in uh, ruling in favor of the plaintiffs in the McCleary case, essentially said, you have inequities in your system that are allowing certain districts to raise more money than their neighboring districts. So they're losing qualified teachers. They're able to offer programs that the others can't afford or hire more teachers that the others can't afford. So the idea was that by leveling the playing field and paying districts a certain amount per teacher and limiting the amount that they could raise locally, you could reduce some of these inequities, right? Makes sense. Now- if you get into a situation where, uh, you know, Battleground, for instance, still can't pay its teachers as much as uh, a district like Vancouver, Evergreen, or Camas, you still might have inequities. That's going to be the case no matter what, but you're trying to level that playing field. Gotcha.
1: Well, I guess the only other part of this is the the lawmaker side, as well as you know, what is this going to look like moving forward? The the million dollar question: Are these raises and these solutions sustainable? Is is this going to happen again in following years? Is this going to happen again next year? So, what are your thoughts and in, um, in what you've found on that? And just just in the the reporting and the the uh, information collection you've done.
0: Well, first of all, I will say it's interesting to note. I think a lot of folks for some reason, believed that this was uh, one-time money. Uh, Other folks believed that the legislature was just going to fund these raises in perpetuity. Um, Essentially, they gave about $4 billion over several years added into the education system. The state has not funded that going forward. There are still about $2 billion dollars that they need to find permanent funding for in order to continue this added money to these districts. So that'll be the first goal of this legislative session that's going on right now is to find a permanent funding source for the the education in the state. So we have about I think a projected 4 billion dollar surplus in income in revenue coming into the state. Some of that will come out of that, but there's also a lot of other obligations that we can't get into in this time, but that the state has to look at. So uh, that's number one. Now, I have literally talked to every single Southwest Washington legislator. Uh, We did a series of previews of the legislative session and what the different districts are looking at. It depends on who you talk to. If you go to Representative Paul Harris in 17th District 2, um who was very uh, instrumental in a lot of this. Um, he, he spent a lot of hours and a lot of extra time working on getting this deal done. I got the sense from him that, yes, I mean, they'll have the conversation, but there's there's a certain amount of what they call, I'm hearing the term McCleary fatigue sure. a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I'm curious to see how much you know, outside of finding a revenue source to actually continue this added funding for districts. I'm curious to see how much of a political will there will be in Olympia this session to actually look at some of what needs to be done. Now, some of the proposals, the governor's budget and uh, state super school superintendent Chris Reichdahl's budget, um, or recommended budget, basically said yeah. Let's lift the local levy caps. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we just passed this. Uh, Paul Harris basically said, you do that, you're going to reintroduce inequities all over again. You're going to have McCleary 2.0 and we'll be right back where we started, except sure. spending a lot more money than we initially started. Um, because what that does is it allows certain districts to go out and and now they can raise a bunch more local Harvest money. Harvest the money in their more, community. And this whole yeah. Competition starts all over again. Um, you even have districts like lacenter Center. I've talked to Dave Holmes, the superintendent out there, who said, "I mean, that that may be an option to help us keep some of our teachers." But I don't want to take that to my voters and say, "Yeah, I know that you were expecting your local property taxes to go down after everybody got hit last year with the double whammy of local levies plus statewide property tax increases." But, hey, we're going to come back to you now because we need more money and we're going to ask you to give us an extra you know, dollar, so 250 per $1,000 of assessment. He said they'd run me out of town on a rail. Sure. You know, there's no way that my voters are going to approve spending this much more money. You'll have levies failing left and right across the state because people thought that they were going to have some relief starting this year. So that's one option that's been put on the table. I don't think that it's going to get A lot of uh, traction right now. Um, Representative Monica Stonier in the 49th district was pretty instrumental in some of this educational funding. She's not on the education committee anymore, but uh, she said that there were two things that she didn't like about the legislation that ended up being passed last year. One was that it did away with the statewide salary schedule and allowed districts to set their own salary schedule, and the state instead said, we're going to fund you A base amount per teacher based on a regionalization, which said, "Okay, we're going to look at the cost of living around you in a certain radius, and then we're going to give you X amount of dollars per teacher." That did two things. Number one, according to her, uh, for Vancouver School District, it didn't look; the regionalization stopped at the Columbia River. It didn't look at cost of living or what teachers were making in Portland or in. Uh, the Reynolds School District south of the Columbia River, and so there was the the worry that you might lose teachers to the Portland School District because they could pay more there. Sure. So she said, "I, I want to revisit that and say, you know, no, no, no. This is a regionalization. If you're going to say region, you got to. It's the Portland Metro area region. You've got to look at what a cost of living is in Portland too, and then the other element of that that she wanted to look at was going back maybe to that statewide salary schedule, or at least kind of providing some sort of more guidance from the state about what teachers should make because paying per teacher hurts districts that have a highly educated or a highly experienced, uh, teaching staff, right? Mm The center is one of those that, and battleground to a certain extent that are saying this is where they really got hurt is that the district comes in and says, your regionalization factor, your list center, your cost of living is not super high. Uh, So you're getting, I think they said they're getting in the neighborhood of $64,000 per teacher, right? But if you look at their teaching staff, they have, they're very top heavy. They have a lot of very highly educated teachers. um, And those teachers are making north of $90,000 a year, and so if you're getting, say you have, to make the math simple, you have 100 teachers. And the center has close to 100 teachers, so the math is pretty simple. Um, that's, what, $6.4 million if you're paying $64,000 per teacher on sure. average. But if 70% of your teaching staff are making north of seventy-five dollars or $80,000, that essentially means that you've got a budget shortfall coming from the state You can't, the state money is not covering all of your teachers. So the only way that you can actually pay them is to dip into your local levy dollars, which means now you have less money to go towards these other added programs or additional teachers. It means that districts like La Center are likely going to be cutting teaching staff. It also, according to them, sets up a potential argument for an age discrimination lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Because if you have highly experienced teachers looking to move to a different district that can pay them more. They're less likely to be hired potentially than somebody with five or six years of experience and a good track record is they making to a lot don't have to pay them as money. much. Yeah. So it's a, I mean, I'm trying to be as brief as I can here <laughs> and it's a twisty complicated issue. There are some other things that are being talked about. Um, the legislature is looking at some revenue generation options. Um, Uh, The initiative that would have imposed a carbon tax was voted down by uh, voters, but that doesn't mean the legislature won't potentially look at another option uh, to do something like that. And that could
1: potentially stabilize some of these... These disparities that are showing up with schools needing more funding is, is through this potential carbon tax?
0: Potentially. I mean, we're just talking about bringing more money in, right? You know, yeah,
1: basically, yeah.
0: Because ultimately, whatever solution you decide to go to, here's the situation that we're in, Jacob, is that basically, you know, the, when I talk to the Republican lawmakers, they point to one major thing, right? They say, our package that we, our bipartisan bill that we had. At, in the end of the 2018 session, would have capped raise, teacher raises at three and a half percent in the first year of this legislation. So they are basically saying it would have basically put some guidance in place for these contract negotiations to say, okay, we're going to hold off on the big raises right now to see what happens with this. That was taken out of the bill that was ultimately passed And that bill passed on a party line vote with no Republicans supporting it. That was the bill that ultimately was the McCleary funding fix, Mm -hmm. but it did away with any sort of guidance on how much districts could actually give to their teachers or how much the teachers could request. And so that's what they mainly point to when they they talk about what caused this problem. Um, How do you fix that at this point? The money's there. Like they've signed the contracts. Now, some school districts, their teachers' unions settled for a one-year deal. I'll be curious to see. I mean, that was a gamble, right? Because now they've got to come back this next year, and they're they're basically doing a one-year deal in the hopes that the state will come back and say, oh, we need more money and put more money in, and then they'll be able to get a better deal than, say, getting 8% or 9% now and an additional 3 or 4%. They're hoping they can get their six or 7% now and maybe another six or 7% next year if they do a one-year deal. But for those districts that signed a multi-year deal, the money's out there. So if the district is now facing a budget shortfall, there is no other option but to cut programs or cut staff. And even if the state gives more money to those districts, um, you know, I just don't know. I don't know how you step back from this. Even if you go, okay, we're going to reimplement a statewide salary schedule. Well, what do you do for those districts that already are beyond that? Or yeah. what do you do for those districts that couldn't afford that salary schedule to begin with? Um if you go and, and lift the local levy caps, well, that just means that local people are spending more money and we're already in a situation where we have a lot of disparity in people who are on fixed incomes saying that they're being priced out of their houses because their property taxes are going up so much in addition to other cost of living things. And so it's really a sticky situation short of throwing another billion or two or three billion dollars at it there's not a lot that the legislators can do other than wait this out for a while and see if things sort of stabilize. Now, I'm no prognosticator and I'm no expert on this. I don't know if that's going to happen. I do know that it's going to be a topic of conversation in this session and probably next year's short session as well.
1: Well, thank you so much, Chris, for sort of opening this up for us. And, uh, Explaining it, I know I learned quite a bit, so I hope uh, all of you listening learned uh, just as much uh, about uh, how the situation is unfolding and will potentially continue to unfold. So,
0: and, and if you hear us playing audio of another potential strike or picket line here in the next few months, you'll know why. You'll know
1: why. Well, thank you so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it, and we value your feedback. If you uh, enjoy this podcast or or you have things that you think we should change, feel free to comment and, and, and to uh, to provide the, us with that information. Make sure to subscribe wherever. This podcast is hosted wherever you choose to listen to it. We are currently on Spotify, Google Play, Apple iTunes, and then obviously through SoundCloud. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we look forward to talking to you soon.